This morning we are actually, we're actually going to finish up our series on Love God, Love People. And uh, it's been, uh, this is week nine, so it's one of the longer series we've done. But we've talked about a number of different things over the past several weeks. And, and today what we're going to do, we're, if you want to go to Acts chapter 17, that's where we're going to start. But I want to, I want to start by just saying this, you know, when sin came into the world at the fall of man, all kinds of things that were created by God that were designed to bring, bring beauty and bring life took on an evil bent. For, for example, uh, God created sex. Sex was God's idea. It wasn't some kind of demonic plan designed to derail us, but God created sex to be this beautiful mingling of souls. It was, it was to be an, an emotional and a spiritual experience. And instead, what we have done in our world, we have turned it into a merely physical act. And we've taken something that was given by God as a thing of beauty and, and perverted it and twisted it and made it ugly and self-centered. I mean, uh, for example, did you know that in the United States, pornography makes more money every year than all professional sports combined. You think we have some issues? I think so. Now listen, I mean, I think when sex is selling toothpaste and cars and deodorant, we've got a problem here. Something is messed up. But God gives us sex. And here's this beautiful gift, not evil, not wicked, not something that should be avoided. And God creates it for the mingling of souls within the parameters that God gives us so that we would enjoy it to the fullest. And at the, at the fall of man, it got perverted and became for many nothing more than just a physical act. Another example, God gave us the Sabbath. He gives us the Sabbath and, and says we should take rest for our souls. And we take that and pervert it and we become lazy. He gave us work. And what do we do with that? We give us, he gave us work and we become workaholics in order to try to find some meaning for our life in our work. You know, he gives us the acoustic guitar and we turn it into country music. No, I'm kidding. I, I like country music. I'm just teasing. You know, but he gives us you know, these, these really beautiful gifts that are, that are supposed to bring life and, and, and joy. He, he gives us these beautiful things that are supposed to bring life transformation and to take us to feelings that are beyond what most of us are, are living in right now. See, when sin came into the world, it brought an evil bent to all of the good things that he gave. There's a, there's a bent that, where we will take what was meant for depth of life and, and to help us walk in the fullness of life that Christ came to restore, and we will pervert it. In the same way, and this is going to sound strange, but I think we've done that with God's command to serve one another, to love one another, and to consider others better than ourselves, to walk in a way that is selfless. And we have taken service, and we have created our own definition for it. And what I mean by that is in, in American culture, when you serve somebody... And this is going to sound strange. You're going to say, well, duh, but I'll explain what I mean by this. In American culture, when you serve somebody, it is because they are lacking or they are in need. So in a church, what do we do? We serve in the nursery because children need to be watched. You can't just throw them in there and leave them. You know, you, you can't you know, toss the kids in the nursery and throw in some cupcakes, walk away, lock the door and hope for the best. You can't do that. They have to be watched. So we serve the church and we serve the children because they need to be cared for, right? Or, 
You know, if we serve a sick friend, it's because he needs our help. Or if we serve someone by helping them move. But listen, listen, if you have a friend that will help you move, that is a real, that is a true friend right there. Because that's one of the worst things in the world. But, but we do that because they're in need. If, and if we're not careful, here's, here's where we can begin to pervert, pervert this whole thing. If we're not careful, what happens is we then begin to apply that modern definition of service to God. If that modern definition of service is applied to God, then what we do is God becomes needy and becomes dependent on us. And that is a far cry from the truth. You know, like I've heard sermons and conversations talk about, maybe you've heard this too, and if this is different than you believe, you have to forgive me, Jesus said so. But I've heard sermons and conversations talk about how God has this huge plan of salvation and that he's and he's wanting to carry that out and if we don't help him it's not going to get done now my problem with that is paul because paul was just on the road to damascus when jesus showed up there was no evangelist nobody tracked him nobody followed up on him he didn't watch a christian movie he's just riding on a donkey on the way to Damascus, and then boom, huge light, and Jesus says, hey, what are you doing, Paul? And that's, that's a paraphrase, by the way. That wasn't exactly what Jesus said. He, he, and he said, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. And then Saul follows him for the rest of his life. No evangelist needed, no tract. It was simply God going, hey, come here, let me show you who I am. And listen, I want you to know that takes place still in this world today. There are, there are Muslims in nations where no Christian can be active. We can't get missionaries in there who are having dreams and Jesus is appearing to them in dreams in the middle of the night and he's revealing himself to them and there are Muslims who are getting saved with no evangelist and no missionary. I'm here to tell you, God does not need us to fulfill his plan. He doesn't need us, but he does call us to be a part of what he's doing. He doesn't have to use an evangelist. However, he does call us to evangelize. We, I mean, we've all seen healings where there was no doctor involved. It was just God going, get up and walk. We've seen that. But if we're not careful, then we will believe that service is for us to help God. And that's not the case. That's not why we serve. By the way, this message this morning and last week, it ties in to because Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he said the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, the second one is completely related to the first one. It's not separate. It's in doing the second part that you do the first part. So we'll talk more about that. But, but if we're not careful, we'll begin to believe that service is for us to help God. But that's not the case. When you, when you believe like that, then what you're doing is you're lumping God in with a bunch of first century idols. So let, let me show you, show you what I mean. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, which is a meeting place in Athens where they they would gather, philosophers would gather there to discuss the newest philosophy and the newest ideas of the day. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now let me tell you how religious they were. It was written in an uh, in ancient literature. Someone wrote, once wrote that it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was to find a man. 
So it tells you how religious uh, they were in this huge ancient city that it was easier to find a God than it was to find a man. They had that many idols there. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So the the Athenians are so thorough in their religious activities that they had built altars for the the sun god, they had built altars for the moon god, the god of the harvest, the, the river god, the god of war, the god of love, and on and on and on it goes. But they were so thorough as they thought about the universe that they said, hey, what do we do if we accidentally left one out? Because if we accidentally left one out, we don't want that God to be angry with us. So let's build an altar to an unknown God. And if he shows up and he's angry, then we'll say, no, no, that's you right there. That's you. So let's keep reading. Verse 23. What you therefore worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he's going, okay, do you you want to know who this unknown God is? Let me tell you who he is. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now listen to verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, in the first century times, as well as in a large part of the world today, if you walk into a temple built for an idol, What you're going to see there is you will see people inside there who are attendants of the temple, which means they meet the needs of the God, that's the the idol that's in there. So they shine up the altar when it it needs it. They provide food for the God, and nobody seems to notice that the food is never eaten. Uh, They attend to the God. They take care of the God. When the God gets dirty, they wash it. When the God gets hungry, they feed it. When the God gets lonely, they sing to it. They are the attendants who take care of the gods. And this was a very common practice in the first century, and it's still common in many parts of the world today. And so Paul here very subversively says, let me tell you about this unknown God. He said, this God does not need any attendance. He does not need anyone to take care of him. He does not get dirty. He does not get lonely. You cannot help him because he is the one who gives all things life and breath. You can't help him. He helps you. You can't serve him as if he needed Anything, And so this is really just brilliant, subversive preaching. He's not blasting their way of life. He's not standing up there and saying, you bunch of heathens, you're worshiping all these false gods. What he does is he just says, look, let, this is the deal with, this, with God. You can't help him. You, the God, uh, 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 this God created the moon and the stars and everything that exists. What could you possibly do for him? You, you can't even manage the smallest part of what he does. You know, he can't look at you and say, hey, would you hold this star for a second? got to do something over here. No, he doesn't need anything from you. What can you do from him? He says he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Anything. Listen, all that to say this. God is very capable of meeting all of our needs. Do you believe that? God is very capable of meeting all of our needs. However, we still have many places in Scripture where we are told to care for each other. Like 
For example, one of my favorites is when Jesus washed the, the disciples' feet. You know, it was a very common practice in the first century that when you came in from outside, whoever was the least among the group would wash feet. So if they had a servant in the house, the lowest servant would be the one to wash the feet. If they didn't have a servant, then the one who was sort of on the lowest rung of the, rung of the social ladder, they would wash the feet. And, and the, the lowest guy on the totem pole would wash the feet of everybody else. See, see, there is a natural pecking order even among human beings. And, and one of the things I love about the disciples the, is that they verbally discuss the pecking order among them. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest among us? I mean, most of us kind of wrestle with that if we were honest silently in our minds. Where do I fit in everything here? You know, but these guys, they want to talk about it out loud. You know, and, and, and no matter how many times they get rebuked, they just keep bringing it up. You know, so which one of us is greatest? I'm, I'm thinking me. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm leaning that direction. What do you guys think? And Jesus is saying, are you kidding me? And, and, and then, you know, like eight days later, they're like, I still think it might be me. You know, and, and they just never seem to be able to grasp it. So they, so they walk into the Last Supper. They've already they've been arguing all the way to the Last Supper. This is three years into Jesus' ministry, and they're still arguing over this. And they walk into the Last Supper. They've been arguing about who, who's the greatest among them. And they, and they sit around in that, in that room, in the upper room, where they had the Last Supper. They uh, celebrated the Passover meal, uh, and no one has their feet washed. You know what they're doing? They're sitting around with filthy feet. Because no one wanted to be the low man on the totem pole. They're sitting there with dirty feet waiting for someone else to do it. And now, if Jesus, uh, you know, weren't God, I mean, actually, you know what they're doing. They're hoping Jesus establishes the pecking order. He's like, you know, I know. We just need Jesus will tell somebody to wash the feet, and then we'll know at least who's at the bottom. And, and if... <laughs> If, I, it's, if Jesus weren't God, if I'd been there, you know, if Jesus weren't God, he probably would have just said, Judas, wash our feet. Right? But that's not what he did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would have been like, you think you're going to turn me over to the authorities? Wash our feet, buddy. You know, that's, that'd be my, that's not what he did. The disciples sit around with dirty feet wondering, who's going to wash our feet? Not me. I'm not the, I may not be the greatest, but I am not the lowest. Not me. Who's, there's no servant here, so it's going to have to be one of us. It ain't going to be me. I am not the least of us. So, you know, surely they're talking about these things. I imagine the conversations that they had. Things like, you know, I, I imagine one of the disciples, maybe Andrew leans over to somebody and says, my money's on Peter. <laughs> you know, I mean, he just called him the devil a few weeks ago, right? I mean, you weren't there. I heard it. He called him the devil. He said, you get thee behind me, Satan. He called him the devil. It's got to be him. He's washing feet. I'm sure of it. You know, they're wondering who, who is it going to be? Who's going to be the one to wash feet? And so they're sitting around kind of whispering and murmuring. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Not me. Probably him. Maybe you, but not me. And Jesus stands up. And takes off his outer garment and grabs the basin and the towel and he kneels and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. By the way, including Judas, whom he already knew was going to betray him. 
And it so abruptly takes back uh, the, the, the disciples that Peter's like, no, uh-uh, no, you can't do this, Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. And then, then Peter's like, all right, wash everything then. You know, Peter's, and Jesus is like, Peter, please, you're, you're such a Peter. You know, I mean, that's, you just do what you say. Everything, I can just figure what you're going to say, Peter, because you just go from one extreme to another. There's nothing in the middle with Peter. So anyway, so what's going on here? Let's flip over to Philippians chapter 2. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time. And we're talking about the greatest commandment and how we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. And we've talked the last two weeks about how we fuel that love. Because we talked about what love is. We talked about how, you know, it just doesn't make sense with our definition of love. Because we say things like, I love tacos and I love my wife. You know, and obviously, I hope those are not not the same. I hope you don't love tacos as much as you, as you love your wife. Uh, but we talked about that and we talked about how we fuel our love for Christ. And one of those is by the written word of God. And we talked last week about the, the need for us to gather together and have deep community with one another because that fuels our love for God. And, and that's what we're talking about today through this as well. So let's talk about Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection in sympathy. So basically he's saying, if you're saved, right? Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, now, if you think that last week was countercultural, if you think that last week went, went, uh, went against the grain of, of, of who, how we function in our culture today, wait till you hear verse number 3. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is a huge command right there. Count others as more significant, more important than yourselves. You know, I read that and I wanted to know what it said in the original Greek. I wanted to know that, so I looked it up. Here is how it reads in the original Greek. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I was hoping for a loophole. There is none. It means exactly what it says in English. It doesn't refer to certain people, but it means simply to regard other people as more important than you are, regardless of their socioeconomic status. Anybody here have a hard time with this? Somebody, we got like one honest person here. I commend you, brother. I commend you. But it gets even deeper. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So not only do, you, do I have to regard you as more important than me, but I have to look out for your interests as well as mine. Anyone else, anyone else here uh, thinking to yourself, man, I'm having a hard enough time keeping up with me. You know, I'm having a hard enough time just trying to handle my own interests. It's tough. Verse 5, he's going to point out how Christ lived. He's going to say, have, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. That's, that's God as a slave. An amazing text. Being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, here's what just happened here. He, he, says, he says, listen, if you are believers in Jesus, if you are walking with Christ, if you know Christ, then consider others as more important than, than you and look out not only for your own needs, but for the needs of others. And he says, why do we do that? The, we, the reason we do it is because this is how Christ lived. This is how he lived his life. This is how he walks. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Why do we do these things if we don't do them because God needs us to? All right. So we already established the fact that God does not need us to serve him. He does not need us to do anything for him. He has no need because he is God. He created everything. What can you do for him? And yet at the same time, uh, there's this command for us to serve one another, that we're supposed to meet the needs of other people. And so now the question is, okay, if we're supposed to do it, but he doesn't need me to do it, then why do we do it? Why are we supposed to do it? Surely God can meet the needs of others. Could he not? Could he not meet every need without, without your help? I'm, this is not a rhetorical question. Can he do that? Is there any problem or anything going on in your life that God can't solve simply by saying it's done? Anything? I don't think you can name anything that trumps Scripture. There's nothing that God can't handle on His own. So it's not about anything that God needs. And, and, and this is going to sound strange, but I don't even know that it's about the needs of the person we're serving. I think it's about something else. Look, look with me as, uh, at Philippians 2, starting verse 12. It says this, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasures. But, you know, that's a powerful verse there because he's saying God is the one working in you, giving you the desire to do what's right and the ability to do it. So that's huge already. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Man. He had to leave that one in there. Why do you stick that in to do all things without grumbling or questioning? So that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he's going to answer the question here. He says, consider others better than you. Look out for the needs of others, not just yourself. And do this because Christ did it. And then he launches into these last uh, few verses here where he says to walk in obedience to these things. Walk in obedience to this command for service because in so doing, you are going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, when he says work out your salvation, it doesn't mean that you're like trying to uh, work it out and trying to figure it out because that's how we think of that word uh, work out your salvation he means that you're going to allow your salvation to be put into action so that you work it outwards so what's going on inside of you is taking place and it's working out uh, from you does that make sense so so he says in doing this this is what how you're going to work out your salvation and you're in fear and in trembling you know a few years ago um I installed, uh, we don't have it anymore, uh, but I installed a satellite dish on our house. 
And um, I'm not a particularly, particularly handy kind of guy. I mean, I can figure out most things and I can do it. And I've learned a lot of things over the years. But I have learned this. Any job that I undertake around the house, uh, two rules of thumb. I don't know if you can relate with this, but it's going to take a lot longer than I expected to, to get it done. And it's going to cost a lot more than I thought it was going to cost. Anybody relate with that? Uh, that's, just, that's just how I roll. Anyway, uh, anyway part, part of the installation process of the satellite dish called for a ground rod to be inserted into the ground to, uh, and then you had a, a ground wire attached to that so that in case of a lightning strike, then the, then the electricity would be diverted into the ground instead of in through the system. So, so anyway, I was going to do this, and I went and I bought all the supplies that I needed. I, I got the, the ground rod. I got the ground rod clamp. I got all the wiring I needed, and I, and I also got a post pounder, and I got a sledgehammer. I'm going to get this thing in there. And I remember uh, the, the, when I first started putting that ground rod in the ground, the, it, at first, I'm telling you, it, it just went really, really easily. I mean, I was like, man, this is going to be a piece of cake. This is going to be easy. It was like a hot knife going through butter. It was so, it went so, so easily. But then suddenly, after about two feet, all of a sudden, I was, I was using that, that, that uh, to get it down low enough where I could use a sledgehammer. I was using that post pounder, and I pulled that thing up, and I came down with all my might. I was thinking, man, I'm going to get this done in like three minutes. Boom! And I hit that, and it just... You ever seen those cartoons where, where the person hits something, and their whole body goes... <laughs> That's what it was like. It was like I thought I broke every tooth out of my head. The vibration just went... <laughs> you know, it was just horrible. Because all of a sudden, what I didn't know was that about two feet underground, there was nothing but rock. And so what, what I thought was going to be a simple five-minute job turned out into about an hour and a half of bone-jarring, ear-splitting pounding because two feet down, there was nothing but rock. Now, let me tell you why I told you that story. Obedience to serving one another unearths what's two feet down in us. There are some things about your heart that outside of walking in this command, you would never find until you begin to read these commands and try to walk in them. There is there's some greed in you that you might never know was there until you slam against the text that says to consider the needs of others above your own. What about my needs though, God? What about my stuff? What about me? Consider yourself, uh, consider others better than yourself. And when you slam into that, it just begins to till up the soil of your soul. It just cuts through. Service, more than anything else, cuts through the fluff of the nominal Christian. And it cuts right into the core of his soul. It reveals what's really going on in the deepest places of our hearts. See, through serving one another, What God does is he begins to peel away levels of selfishness. And that's what what obedience to serve one another does because, listen, we we have this natural bent in us to serve ourselves, do we not? We have this natural selfishness. And if you don't believe that, take care of a newborn. Nobody has to teach that newborn to, to b- believe that the entire world uh, you know, revolves around them. 
They want something and they scream until they get it, right? Yes, yes, we got some. Not even newborn, right? Some still do that at 30, but I'm not going to go there. But, but, uh, but we have this natural thing in us to serve ourselves. And I think you'd really have a hard time arguing against that. You, you know, you'd say, no, no, since the day I was born, I've wanted to serve all mankind. I've thought of little of my own needs and given myself freely to everyone. No, I don't think so. That's ridiculous. We are absolutely bent towards I, I, me, me, my, my, I, me, I. We just are. I mean, that, that's how we pick churches. I, I like this. I like it, what they do. I like this. I like that. It's how we pick our friends. You know, how often does the thought, you know, when somebody's treating you in a way that you don't, you don't like, how often does the thought come to your mind, does he know who I am? That, that sense of entitlement that takes over in our lives. Trying to live the command to consider others as more important than me tills up some stuffiness that would stay hidden our whole lives if we never pursued biblical obedience in this. And when I say your needs are more important than mine, I want to make sure you're all right. What it does is it tills up the soil of my soul and helps me see what's really underneath the surface. Let me show you something else that it does. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, when, when we walk in the obedience to serve one another and to serve God, not because he needs it, but, but rather because we need it. This is why we serve. We serve others because we need what comes in our lives. We need that selfishness peeled away. We need to see what's going on. And when, when, when we do life together like that, what ends up happening in us is that when we do that, we then begin to see the fruit of God in our lives. It's this process where this junk is revealed in us. Listen, it's not enough just to know that the junk is there, right? You can know it's there, but if you choose to ignore it, nothing happens with it. But, but we, 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 it's this process where the junk in us is revealed and, and the selfishness in us is revealed and the greed in us is revealed. And if we're in that moment, if we are obedient to repent of the sins and we continue to pursue the Lord, then what ends up happening is in the end, you get used by God, which is an amazing thing. You know, if we were honest today, most of us really struggle with the idea that we could be used in really powerful ways by God. You know, uh, I, I want to explain it like this. You know, some of the most intimate times that I ever had with my earthly father, with my dad, those were the, the times where he invited me into what he was doing, knowing that I was actually powerless to help him. Do any of you men remember that? You know, that time maybe when your dad came in, woke you up early on a Saturday morning. Wake up, son, we're going to build a sidewalk. And you're like, but dad, it's not even our yard. <laughs> you know, but we're going to do it anyway. So you, you go and you get the wheelbarrow and you grab the like 80 pound sack of quickcrete and head out into the yard. And, and your dad looks at you as you, this tiny little pipsqueak of a, of a boy. And you say, come help me lift this 80 pound bag of quickcrete out of the wheelbarrow. All the while knowing that it actually weighs more than you do. And there's no way that you're actually going to offer any help to him in getting it out of there. You know, my dad, I remember he used to, every, every, occasionally he would take on a second job as a janitor when our family needed. We had a, 
we had a, a, a large family and mostly boys, which, you know, he had to take on like extra jobs just to be able to feed us because we were, you know, like human garbage disposals. But, uh, but sometimes, occasionally, he would, he would take me to work with him. And, and, and he'd take me so that I could help him. And I, I, I'm guarantee I made more messes than I helped clean up. I'm sure of that. But my dad inviting me into his work, inviting me to get my hands dirty, inviting me into what he was doing, it created intimate times for us where we could talk and where we could laugh. And I was, I was drawn closer to my dad and I learned a lot of things. And, and all, all that occurred because of, a, 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 of the invitation of my father to help out in what he was doing. And what happens when our souls are tilled up? When we see that junk and we begin to repent and we begin to press into God and we begin to serve one another is that God, use, God uses that to show us His presence and His power working through us and that is the most addictive drug on the planet. It's the most addictive thing on earth to see the light of the glory of Christ click on in the lives of people out of simple service from those who claim to know Him. It's amazing what it does. It's amazing what it does when we live in such a way where we say, what can I do for you? Or, or, or that we walk in such a way that people for us, uh, in, uh, w- with people, for us to see something that they need and to provide it. Something, no, I'm not talking about even big things, but to offer our seat, to take a dinner to them, to take care of the children, to slip a hundred bucks in cash to, to, into their hand when you shake their hand. I'm looking around maybe for us to be more like 20 bucks. I'm not sure but, uh, but whatever it is, you know, some of you are like $100, that's a quarter of my monthly income. You know, I don't know, but, but, uh, but to begin to say, you're more important than me. I had other things I wanted to do, but I know that this person I'm doing life with, this person with whom I work, this person who is hurting needs it more than I need it. To realize that I have an opportunity to make Christ known in a very real way and, to, and at the same time to till the soil of my own soul. So I see my neighbor working in his garden and I walk over and say, hey man, I, I don't have a green thumb, but, but can I help? Well, why do you want to help me? And the answer is because I have been loved and I want to love. When we serve those around us, we'll begin to see the power of God moving through us. You know, in the evangelical church in America, we we tend to live in the world of theory instead of actual facts. And many of us, for example, what I mean is that many of us walk in the world of theoretical, that God is this, God is that, God does this, God provides that, God accomplishes that, on and on we can go. But for most of us, It's nothing more than theories that roll around on our heads that very few of us live in. We say, God can use me. God can empower me. God can woo people unto himself with me. God can save people through my life. God can heal through me. And we know how to say that, but they're just theories that most of us never actually see lived out in our lives. And when we say, you're more important than me, what happens is the theory begins to come alive. We, we, when we begin to live in such a way that we're willing to get up and serve people, when all we wanted to do was just sit around all day and watch TV, then God begins to use us. 
And when you live like this, what you do is you position yourself under the waterfall of the presence and the power of God. You have an incredible opportunity to see him move in amazing ways. So so the Bible says to consider others more important than yourself. Uh, Don't just take care of your own needs, but the needs of others. Why? Because Jesus did it this way. And and in following the footsteps of Jesus, you're going to have things revealed in you that you would have never seen if you hadn't walked in obedience. And and he says, in that obedience, excuse me, I'm going to show you how mighty I am. I'm going to invite you into what I'm doing. That's what he says. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to invite you to where I'm wooing people to myself. To, I'm going to invite you into that process where I'm healing people of the deep scars of their past. I'm going to invite you into that place where, I, where I'm moving in, where I'm working in the lives of people. If you begin to serve these people, I'm inviting you into what I'm already doing. And in so doing... It also creates a greater intimacy with, with Him. I, I'm going to invite you into that. And, and in doing that, He says, you will shine like stars in a crooked and twisted, or some translations say perverse generation. So what does this mean, that we would shine like stars? You know, there is a quiet, humble confidence in those who have seen the power of God in their lives. There is, a, there is quiet, confident trust in the power of God for those who have walked in it, seen it, tasted it, touched it, been a part of what he's doing. I mean, think about this. How strange is it to see selfless people in our culture? That's very unusual, isn't it? And I think that when we live that way, when we learn to live selflessly, because, listen, I believe this with all my heart, that to become more and more Christ-like means I become more and more selfless. And when we begin to live that way and begin to live this out, I think it just takes the world aback. They don't even know what to do with that. They can't, they, can't fi- they can't figure you out because for everybody, there's always an angle. There's always a reason. There's always something you're trying to get out of it. But when you're just serving them because, it's because you have been loved and so you want to love, they can't understand that. It blows their mind. In, in fact, it, it, because of that, there, there might even, I'll just prepare you, when you begin to live this way, there will probably be charges of brown nosing and, and butt kissing. That's what they're going to do. There might be some pretty hideous accusations that come your way when you say, how can I serve you? How can I help? What can I do? The Bible says that we shine like lights in a mean, 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 mean generation when we say you, you, you instead of me, me, me. I find it ironic that we... We're talking about fueling our hearts to love God, but I find it ironic that we fuel our hearts to love God by fueling other hearts to love God. Are you tracking with me? We fuel our hearts to love God deeply by giving of our time, energy, effort, patience, etc., pouring all of those things into the hearts of other people. Now, will you, will you dream with me a little bit? Not long. I'll, I'll have you at lunch very soon. Uh, but what would happen if we as a church really learned how to walk this thing out? 
I mean, can, can, you, can you even fathom that? I mean, hey, nobody would ever be able to leave this, this church. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about leaving as and going to another church. I'm talking about just trying to get out the door. No, you first. No, no, you first. No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. You first, I insist. I mean, we'd, we'd always be trying to outdo each other in serving. And all serious, can you fathom living this thing out? Can you imagine a place where I'm so concerned about your walk with Christ, with your relationship with your spouse, with your relationship with your kids, with the problems and the heartaches that, that you face, that, that I was so concerned with that that I went, went to you and said, what can I do? I'll do anything to serve you. What can I do? And then you had the same concern about me. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a place where any time we saw a need, we just devoured it? You know, we, saw it, we see it unfold in the book of Acts. I'm not going to read it, but you can read about it because there, there were people, they were being thrown into prison and while they were in prison... All their stuff would be stolen out of their house and they'd have nothing and they'd be in trouble. And, 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 and people saw that, followers of Christ, Christ saw that and, and, they, and they said, man, you know, look what happened to this person. And you know what their response was? There wasn't, they didn't just say, man, brother, I'm going to be praying for you. You know what they did? They said, let's sell our stuff and give the money to them. They put them first. What would, we, what would it be like to see this kind of connection occurring where, where I'm going, you're, you're not only my brother and sister in Christ, but re, the reality is you're part of the same body that I am, and that's why I want to nurture and take care of you because in so doing, I'm caring for my own body. I mean, can you even imagine? Can you imagine where there aren't any scars in a church over the color of the carpet? Or scars over the songs that are sung. Where we keep in mind the kingdom of God. Where there isn't a lot of grumbling and complaining. But rather, our church is filled with hearts to serve one another. And love one another. You know, I wonder how dirty the feet are for some of the people in the room today. You remember the disciples sitting around for somebody else to do it? Sitting around with dirty feet thinking somebody ought to do it. But that somebody's not me. I wonder how many dirty feet there are, there are in this room. I wonder how many of us sitting here around with, with, with dirt on our feet are we're thinking to ourselves, who's going to get this dirt off of our feet? Who's going to clean this up? Who's going to handle this? Who's going to take care of this? this there's this need. There's this going on at the church. There's this in the community. Somebody should do something, but not me. So, so how do we love like this? How, how do we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts? How do we fuel this love? Because that's what we want, right? We, we, want to, we want to walk in the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Everything in us. Well, we do it by meditating on the Word, by walking in deep community with one another, and by fueling our hearts, by fueling the hearts of other people with love, with service, with help. Listen, to serve, you don't have to do the big thing. In fact, 
the greatest service is the little thing. Find something. There's somebody that needs you to do something. Maybe it's cook a meal. How many, I, listen, I know we got some good cooks in this house. I, I am testament to that because I weigh more than I did two years ago when I came. Yes, yeah, yeah. Donna, she puts things on Facebook. Every, I avoid Facebook because I look at it and gain five pounds every time I see her post. Just by looking at the pictures. Listen, I believe that's a gift given to you. That's designed to serve other people. And in doing that, you show them who Christ is. And he invites you into the work that he is doing. Some of you, like Gina, she can sew. Uh, you know, she can make anything with that crazy sewing machine. I don't even know, you know, I can't even make it start. I don't know how to do that. But you know what? There's somebody that she can serve, and she has served with that. You say, well, I just don't have any skills. I can't do anything. Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm just going to get right down to brass tacks here. There are toilets that need to be cleaned. That's a, that's a foot washing right there. There are people who need help doing their yard work. There are people who, need, who are shut in that, that need people just to, to check on them. And I know it's hard because you're not supposed to go see them now, but, but maybe phone calls, regular phone calls. Listen, there is some way you can serve some way you can make a difference. Don't wait for the big moment. Be faithful in the little things. Because as you're faithful in the little things, that's when God takes you to the bigger things. He always has to make an entrance. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, he, he checked in the offering bag and saw something and took out a, some money that he had put in there. He's like, well, I gave it. I'm taking it back, God. But listen, just... Make yourself available. Because if you will serve, it will, it will peel away the selfishness, the natural selfishness in our lives. It will put you in a position to let the power of God flow through you. And as He invites you into the work that He's doing, you will discover a brand new intimacy with Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your head. Let's pray. Father, I just, I just ask for your help. I pray, Lord, that you would just teach us to see differently than we do right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would remove the I and the me from the deep places in our hearts. And Lord, I thank you that this command to serve is, is not a command given out of need, but Lord, it's really given as an, as an invitation that you've given to us to walk with you and to be part of the things that you're doing and, and the part of how you're revealing Christ to the people around us. And, and in so doing, God, you're leading us into greater intimacy with you. So Lord, I just pray that you would Make this place a, a people who are passionate about caring for the body. I pray, Lord, that you would make this a place that's filled with people who are passionate about loving people and meeting need, that every time we see a need, we would just devour it, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you would break the me out of us. Teach us to love one another deeply. Teach us to live in such a way that the world will see us as light, that they'll say, I don't know what's going on with those people because it's so different than anything the world offers. Lord, make us lights shining in the midst 
of a crooked and twisted and perverse generation. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand together with me? Here's the thing. I'm not going to give an altar call saying how many of you need prayer for this. Because the answer to this message is not to pray about it. Right? The response, the only fitting response to what His Word says to us today is to find somebody and serve them. So that's my challenge for you. As we head out this place, even today, and all through the week, find somebody that you can serve. Go out of your way to do something for somebody else, not just simply because they may need it, but just because you want to express the love of Christ through your life to them. How many of you would commit to do that? Let me see your hand. Yeah, everybody. Wow, look at that. Kinsley's even doing it. Now she's waving. She said, Let's, it's time to go, Pastor Dave. Let's move it. Let's move it. <laughs> now she's calling me out. She's like, you want a piece of me? Amen. Well, it's, I want to pray a blessing over you and we, we'll be dismissed. Lord, I, I ask God that you would help us to walk in your grace and in your favor. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us how we can serve somebody around us. Whether it's in small ways or great ways, whether it's by giving to them financially or by serving them with our hands, whatever it is, God, I pray that we would take your call seriously. And as we do, that you would let your power flow through us this week, Lord God. And don't let it be just something that happens this week. But God, let this be a transformational moment in our lives and in the life of this church. Make us people who serve the way Christ did. And we give you thanks for everything in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.